We are always in a spiritual battle. You can try to ignore it. You can try to refuse that nothing like that is taking place. But all around you and me, each and every day, the Lord is at work. And if the Lord is at work, he's doing some mighty things. He's working in people's hearts who don't yet know him. Bringing them to salvation by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is convicting people concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You might not can see that all of the time. But any time God's word is proclaimed, the Lord is marching in victory in the hearts of people. Just as God is real and is bringing people to know him. And is helping Christians walk deeper and further in their faith. Satan is also real. He's keeping people as best he can from coming to know Jesus. He's distracting them. He's drawing their attention away from the Lord. He's tempting them to sin. He's telling Christians that it's okay to continue sinning and hiding the sin that they habitually commit. As we've looked at the idea of spiritual warfare the past couple of weeks, I've told you, just like Paul did to the Ephesian Christians that he wrote a letter to, the only way that we can engage in the spiritual battle as Christians is to stand firm. We stand firm by standing in the strength of the Lord, by putting on and taking up the full armor of God. But the most powerful weapon in spiritual warfare that we Christians are able to use is not one that we put on, nor is it one that we take up. This weapon is when we seek the Lord's face, when we cry out, when we beg, when we plead, when we ask for his assistance his protection, and his guidance. I'm talking to you about the idea of prayer. And I know it might sound absolutely backward and strange to you. But really the only way that we can stand firm in spiritual warfare is if we drop to our knees in prayer. And we maintain a posture of humbly bowing before the Lord and seeking his face, we stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying at all times and in all things. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 10 through 20. I'm going to read all 10 of these verses to you. And then I'm going to expound on the last few. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. God's word says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In his book, Pilgrim's Progress, the author John Bunyan provided an allegory of a Jesus follower and his spiritual pilgrimage through life. The main character in the story, named Christian, has one ultimate goal, to reach the celestial city, that is heaven. During his journey, he learns how to fight against temptations by putting on the armor of God. He is told that the final piece of God's armor is called all prayer. You see that in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. All prayer. While these Bible verses don't technically list all prayer as a piece of the spiritual armor, we ought to understand and engage in prayer with spiritual warfare in mind. Instead of understanding prayer as an additional piece of the armor, we should recognize that prayer is the avenue that we used to put on and take up the full armor of God. I mean, let me ask you this question. How else are you going to put on the full armor of God? Do you guys have a wardrobe at the back of your house where this church gave you a belt of truth that you could slap on your waist every day? No. When we're told to put on and take up the armor of God, the only way we can do that is by praying it on ourselves. All prayer. It's important, it's significant. In fact, without praying, we can't engage in spiritual warfare. The recent movie, War Room. Anybody seen that? Show of hands if you saw that movie, by the way. It's a good one, isn't it? In the movie, War Room, there's an older lady who has a prayer closet. And that is her war room, where she does spiritual battle. And really, prayer is where Spiritual warfare is won or lost. Remember, Jesus Christ has already won the war. We are just soldiers in his victory march. In this victory march, we still have battles to fight along the way where he's already claimed victory. Prayer is kind of like drawing up a battle plan in a war room in one sense. And in another sense, prayer is kind of like calling in air support during the heat of battle. You're there on the front lines, but you're asking God to move and to work with his divine perspective and power. 
prayer is necessary because spiritual warfare is superhuman and needs to be fought with supernatural means and power. God is able to do what we cannot do. And God enables us to do what only He can do when we pray. So as you think about prayer in terms of spiritual warfare this morning, I hope you understand that praying in all things at all times ensures that you will stand firm in spiritual warfare. So let's take a closer look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 18 through 20 to talk about the matter of prayer. There are three questions this text answers in the verses. First, how do I need to pray? Second, for whom do I need to pray? And third, why do I need to pray? Let's take a look at verse 18. How do I need to pray? Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. You and I need to pray all times, not just sometimes. Paul used two words, prayer and petition, when he issued this challenge. The idea seems to be that prayer is the sense of generally speaking to God, having an ongoing conversation with Him. And petition is the sense of specifically requesting something from God. In other words, we ought to be constantly communicating with our Father in Heaven. And when an immediate or an emergent prayer need arises, we present that request to Him because we're already engaged in conversation. There's an open line of communication. I mean, think about this in your own personal interactions with other people. Maybe at home with your spouse, or maybe at work with your boss or an employee, or maybe even with one of your friends in life. How much easier is it to ask someone a favor when you already have a close relationship with them? Instead of just giving them a cold call and saying, hey, I need some help with this. Paul says, with all prayer and petition. In other words, have a constant state of communion. Spiritually bowing on your knees before the Lord in prayer at, at all times. So that when specific needs do arise, you can go straight to his throne room because you're already there. There are times when we feel bad for coming to God only with our needs. But what if we spent time in constant communion with him? Then making our requests and needs known to him as they arise wouldn't cause us to feel guilty about using God for our own advantages and purposes, would it? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we are to pray without ceasing. Short, simple command. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. We need to always be in close communication with God so that we know His will in spiritual warfare, and so that we're able to ask for His aid without having to come to Him from afar. My wife, Stephanie, has this blessed family. She's got a mom and, and two younger sisters, and they are always engaged in conversation. She has a group text message chain going with them, and I can't remember exactly how many texts they average a day, but it's somewhere in the hundreds range. Like multiple hundreds. I mean, you just, if she had her phone, you know, where the sound would alert every time she received a message, 
it would be like one of those trains coming through Walnut Ridge that never lets go of the horn. There's, she's always talking with him. I wonder if we always are talking with God. I mean, just throughout the day. Lord, I'm about to have to go in here and talk with so-and-so. I have no idea what they wanted to talk to me about. But would you give me the grace to hear and the grace to respond? God, thank you so much for letting me have that conversation with so-and-so today. God, there's somebody else on my mind. I, I just want to lift them up to you. And then you get a text message. Lord, there's another need somebody just told me about. I pray for them. What if our conversations were like that with God every day? Just in constant communion with him. You and I ought to live our lives in such a way that we never have to say amen, nor do we ever want to. Because a lot of times we think of amen as the end word to prayer. Amen is not the end word. Amen means that's true. And we ought to be continually talking with God every day. Not ending our conversation, but keeping it going. We should simply talk to him at all times. Stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying at all times. The next phrase that Paul used in Ephesians 6.18 is in the spirit. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. This tells us how we are to pray. When we pray at all times, we are, in, we are choosing to engage in spiritual warfare. The Holy Spirit is active in prayer. This phrase about praying in the Spirit might make you think that some prayers are spiritual and others are not. You know, it, some people have read this verse and gone, well, you can pray in the Spirit, and some of you that aren't good at praying, you just don't pray in the Spirit. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Remember that the last piece of armor we discussed uh, the previous week in Ephesians six seventeen was God's Word. The sword of who? The Spirit. Bible study and prayer go hand in hand. As you wield the weapon of God's Word, you must do so prayerfully. Think about it. Anytime you pick up a copy of God's Word and begin to read the verses, the pages of Scripture, are all of those words inspired by the Spirit of God? Yes, all the time. Likewise, anytime you pray, anytime you go into communion with the Lord, are you doing so by the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Some of you might not realize that, but anytime you talk to God, the Holy Spirit is active in your life. He hears your requests and he begins to work or he continues working in ways that he already has been. The phrase pray in the Spirit is also used in Jude verse 20. In both cases, these words serve as a reminder that any time we pray to God the Father in heaven, we are doing so through the power of the Holy Spirit. That might be a good way for us to close out our prayers in the future. Instead of just saying the standard Baptist phrase, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, what if we said something like this? In the name of Jesus... I make these requests to you, my Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And I'm not saying you have to repeat that formula every time you pray, but that's what you should at least have in mind and at heart. You're praying because Jesus has given you the opportunity to pray. 
In other words, when Jesus died for your sins and you were forgiven, you now have access, the ability to talk with God. You're praying in Jesus' name. But you're not just saying a word of prayer to let it float out there into the empty vastness of space. You're actually talking to your Father in heaven. And you're praying through, in, or by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like you offer your prayer in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes it and sets it right before the Father. Anytime we pray, we're praying in the Spirit. Your Sunday school lesson coming up in a few weeks has this to say on the passage. The Spirit is with the person who is praying. He inspires the person to pray. He guides the person in what to pray. Have you ever wanted to pray for something, but you had no idea what to pray for? The Holy Spirit gives you the words you need to pray. And the Holy Spirit energizes him or her to keep praying. The Holy Spirit helps us pray when we don't know what to say. And he keeps us praying when we feel like giving up many times. Stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying in the Spirit. The Bible also challenges us to pray with alertness. The command in verse 18 is be on the alert. Being alert means to be awake and attentive. So there are some of you this morning that have your eyes open, but you stayed up too late last night watching the football game. You're awake, but you're not alert. You know what I'm talking about? And then there's, there's sometimes that we like to think that we're alert because we're listening to the words that are being said, but we're asleep spiritually. In other words, you're seeing my lips move, your ears are hearing my words, the disciples that heard Jesus' words, they, they were there, they were attentive, but they weren't awake. Alert means to be both awake and attentive. In Luke chapter 22, the Bible tells us about the night before Jesus' crucifixion. It's when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He took his disciples with him to the garden, and he told them to pray. And Jesus went a little bit further than them into the garden. And, uh, and before he did that, in Luke chapter 22, verse 40, Jesus said to his disciples, Pray that you might not enter into temptation. So Jesus goes off about a stone's throw away to spend his own personal time with God in prayer. And when he returned to his disciples, he did not find them praying. He found them sleeping. Prayer helps us remain spiritually alert so that when the attacks of the enemy come, we're not spiritually asleep. It's important on the battlefield to remain vigilant or else when the enemy comes, he'll surprise you, ambush you, and overtake you. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus who was asleep that night, knew all too well of Satan's readiness to pounce on vulnerable prey. He even wrote about it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. Listen to these verses. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. As God's people, we are all prone to the devil's attacks. He's just waiting for the chance, for the opportunity to pounce on us. 
We stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying with alertness. Paul's next instruction on how to pray is to pray with all perseverance, verse 18. With all perseverance. If we are alert in prayer now, but we fail to remain alert later, then we have failed. It doesn't matter if the watchman stays awake on the first hour of his shift, if he falls asleep during the last hour of his shift. The command in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing not only urges us to remain in constant prayer, but it reminds us to not give up while we're praying. Do not cease to pray to God and make your requests known to Him. If He's not yet answered your prayer, pray until He does. You guys know what it's like to have those children around you who ask you that same question 800 times until you give them an answer? Our continual prayers do not annoy our Heavenly Father. Rather, they make us dependent upon and faithful to Him. Here's what we do a lot of times in spiritual warfare. We start to pray and to ask God to move and work as only He can. And then we get a little frustrated or impatient. And we say, well, God, if you're not going to do this, then I am. And we start to take up the mantle and run with it. But the problem is we're moving ahead of the Lord without him. Keep praying and don't give up. Before Peter wrote his warning about the devil prowling around as a roaring lion, he echoed Paul's instruction about praying in perseverance. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. Casting all of your cares upon him, because he cares for you. Perhaps God has not yet answered that prayer request because it has not been time for the answer. Really, our continual prayer requests probably have the, the tendency to annoy us more than to annoy God. We think, God, are you ever going to answer? God, are you ever going to work? But through perseverance and prayer, we learn patience in a God who provides what his children and what his soldiers need. Stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying in all perseverance. So that's how we are to pray, verse 18. We're to pray at all times. We're to pray in the spirit. We're to pray with alertness. We're to pray in all perseverance. The next question that our text answers is for whom? Do we need to pray? And the answer is found at the end of verse 18 and into verse 19. For whom do I need to pray? The Bible says we are to pray with petition for all the saints. Verse 19. If you were to draw a circle around the people for whom you pray, would it look like you're the Lord of the ring? Or would it look like God is the king of all things? If you were to draw a circle around the people that you're praying for? Does it look like you're the center of the universe or like God is? Are people there to make you happy or are people there to glorify him? Widen the scope of your intercessory prayers by lifting up the names and needs of other people who don't share your last name. Don't just pray for yourself. Don't just pray for your family. Pray for all of the saints in the family of God. Ask God to work in the hearts and lives of people who are in your Sunday school class, who serve as international missionaries, who are in your youth small group on Wednesday nights, 
and who sit on the other side of the sanctuary from you on Sunday mornings. You might not even know much about that person other than their name. You might not even know that much. You might just know it's so-and-so's kid or so-and-so's nephew. But that's fine. God knows each and every need and each and every name that has a need. Praying for all the saints helps you as a servant become more humble because you realize that you are not God's answer for all of the world's problems. Let's just face it. There are some people around you in life who need things that you cannot provide. There are some things that you as Christ followers need that I as a pastor or a Christ follower cannot give you. It's not because I don't want to. It's not because I don't have the time. It's because only God can satisfy you. Remember that there's not a thing that a person needs that God is not able to provide. So instead of you trying to meet everybody's needs, why don't you pray that God would meet their needs? You might not be able to do what they want or what they're asking for, but you can and pray that God will. Praying for all the saints also helps you serve with humility because there are times in prayer that God will call you personally to meet a need practically for someone other than yourself. And before you prayed for that person, you were only thinking about meeting the needs of yourself. Widening the circle of prayer for people other than you reminds you of the greatness of the God you serve and of the overarching spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. In other words, the devil is not only after you, he's after everybody. Why would we not lock arms and pray together that we would stand firm in spiritual warfare? You might think that praying is a waste of time because you're not doing anything. But let me remind you that praying is when we stop trying to do things in our own power so that God can do what only he can do in his power. Paul didn't say, stand firm in your own strength. He said, stand firm in the Lord and the strength of his might. Praying for people isn't just what southern ladies do at a Saturday tea party. It's what Christian soldiers do on the spiritual battlefield. And some of you need to change the mindset of prayer. It's not just talking to other people about stuff. It's talking to God about what he wants to do in this world. Stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying for all the saints. Not only does the Bible say we need to pray for all the saints, but we need to also pray especially for God's messengers, for Christian leaders. In verse 19, Paul made it plainly known that he wanted Christian brothers and sisters to pray for him. He said, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Years ago, a preacher was on a plane, and like any good preacher would do, he began to strike up conversation with the man seated next to him, and that conversation soon turned towards spiritual things. The preacher wanted it to go that direction, and strangely enough, the man sitting next to him was interested in spiritual matters as well. And at first, the preacher thought, all right, I can share the good news of Jesus with somebody that God is already working in their hearts, and they're going to be saved here and now. But as the conversation moved towards spiritual things, 
the preacher realized suddenly that there was something strange about this man seated next to him. And so he asked the man where he attended church. He said, well, I, I go every week. He said, we meet at this place and this place. So what's the name of your church? He said, well, we call ourselves the Church of Satan. He was a warlock in the Church of Satan, kind of like a, a spiritual leader in this gathering of evildoers. And the preacher was kind of taken aback, you know. But the man was wanting to share with him some things. And so the preacher just began to ask this man some questions. And he found out from this warlock in the church of Satan that their church were strategically praying for pastors and ministers in their area to fall into reprehensible moral sin so that they had to resign from their churches, so that their families were ripped apart, and so that the spread of the gospel was hindered. Just stop and think about that for a moment. I know it's an extreme example, but that is nonetheless what Satan has in mind in spiritual warfare. He knows, just like any good military-minded being knows, that if you can take out an officer, a ranking official, that you can take out the troops, the company that follows him. Listen, you've asked me before what you as church members can do to help me as a pastor. The answer will not change. Pray for me. Pray for my family. Pray for all of your church staff. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. When the Lord gives people in his church spiritual responsibility, those people need even more prayer. Do you want to help your music minister? Do you want to help your children's minister, your youth minister? And pray. Pray for them. Do you want more people to get saved and you want to see the kingdom of God advance? Pray for our deacons. Pray for our Sunday school teachers. Pray for other pastors in our community. Pray for missionaries on the field. Richard and Connie Cummins are in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Uh, Josh and Jill McCarty are out in Grand Junction, Colorado, planting River City Church. We've got three families that we, we're connected with. The Burlesons, the Bundridges, and the Floras in Lesotho, Africa. There are missionaries all over the place. Those are just a few. Pray for those folks. Pray for Southern Baptist leaders in Arkansas and at the national level. Uh, Sonny Tucker is the Arkansas Baptist Executive Director. Dr. Stan Norman is out at Williams Baptist University. Uh, Derek Brown works with the Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries. Ronnie Floyd's the president of the Southern Baptist Executive Board. Kevin Ezell is the president of the North American Mission Board. Paul Chipwood is the president of the International Mission Board. You might not know all of those names, and you might not think that you should know all of those names, but I'm telling you that these Christian leaders, along with all the others, need your prayers if we're going to stand firm in spiritual warfare. Will you pray for me? I'd love a yes from at least one person. Thank you. Amen. Father, we're so thankful you brought this man to our church. It's not our church, it's your church. And he's your man. I pray that you would encourage him you would strengthen him, that you give him wisdom, that he'll know what to do and how 
may all the Lord be instead with me. It's a peace that only this family with the rest of our staff knows that your purpose has been accomplished. So we ask in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Paul. How are we to pray? We're to pray at all times. We're to pray in the spirit. We're to pray with alertness. We're to pray with all perseverance. For whom are we to pray? We're to pray for all the saints. Listen, it's not just that I need prayer. I want prayer. But I know you need prayer too. And I can't be the only person praying for you as your pastor. You need to pray for each other. You need to pray for your leaders. And then Paul answers the third question, why do I need to pray? Verses 19 and 20. Why do I need to pray? Spending time in prayer with God for all the saints and Christian leaders helps Christians speak about Christ with boldness. You'll notice the substantive boldness in verse 19 and the adverb boldly in verse 20. These words are from the same root. It means to have confident assertion that an object is thoroughly dependable despite any negative feedback or condemnation from others. In the case of Christian witnessing, our boldness comes from Jesus' sacrifice for our sins and the transformation that our own salvation brings. Because of the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God laying down His own life for wayward sheep. We speak the good news with boldness. Because of our own radical transformation, people who were once lost in darkness but now are walking as children of light, we speak the good news boldly. We're not concerned about what others think about us when we talk about Jesus because we have the truth. And we want to share that truth with others. When you pray, are you concerned about getting answers from God about your needs? Or do you pray with the more concern about how confused and unsaved people need to find answers to life's questions in God? Let me just ask you bluntly and directly. When's the last time you prayed for a lost person to be saved? Notice that Paul did not ask the Ephesians to pray for ease comfort and convenience as he ministered in the name of Jesus. Paul did not ask the Ephesians to pray for his release from prison. He told them to pray that he would continue to have the same boldness that landed him in chains. Are you praying for Christians to have more comfort in their daily lives? Or are you praying for believers to have more boldness in their daily witness? You know, everybody wants their church to grow like the church did in the book of Acts. At least we say we do. We might not want all the problems that come with that growth. But there were thousands of people in Acts coming to faith in Jesus after sermons were preached. New brothers and sisters were added to the Christian faith daily. We say we want the growth like the early church had in Acts. But if we look at our prayer lives, would we still say that we want the growth that the early church had in Acts? In other words, are you praying like the church did in Acts? 
Are you speaking boldly? Are we speaking boldly like the church did in Acts? Listen to these verses that describe the church praying for boldness and speaking the good news with boldness in Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence or boldness while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness does not mean that we're ugly or argumentative when we share the good news. It means that the message is so beautiful, we have to share it. And that we're so sure of its truth that we're unwilling to waver about why everybody needs to believe in Jesus. Stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying for boldness in sharing the good news. And then Paul gave another reason why we should pray in verse 19. He wanted believers to pray so that the mystery of the gospel might be made known. Paul didn't just want the social skills necessary to speak boldly with anybody about anything. He wasn't asking for help in everyday conversation to make small talk. He wanted boldness to reveal the mystery of the gospel. What is this mystery of the gospel? Well, Paul had written of the mystery earlier in Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 9, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and chapter 3, verse 9. The mystery is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And it doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter who they are, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, where they're from, what language they speak, what color their skin is, how much they have or don't have. Jesus came to save He paid the price for people's sins when he died on the cross. You don't have to do a bunch of good works in order to experience God's salvation. You don't have to be a good person to receive God's grace. The mystery of the gospel is that God saves us and shows us grace when we simply believe that his son Jesus died for our sins and rose again and we give our lives to him. Paul didn't just want to preach good sermons. He wanted the sermons he preached to reveal the salvation that he was proclaiming so that people could be saved. Did you know that there is not a more biblical prayer you or I could pray than that someone be saved? Rob Anderson told me that at Sunday school class one time. You remember that? There's not a more biblical prayer you could pray that someone would be saved. Just take credit for it. It's good, brother. And I think Rob's right. Listen to these verses, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all to be saved And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men. That is the man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. Are you praying for people to be saved? 
God wants people to be saved. You know, there's times when we pray something like, God, if it's your will, then would you... When it comes to praying for people's salvation, we never have to start a prayer like that. God, if you want so-and-so to be saved, God wants them to be saved. Let's not question ourselves about that. Let's pray to God about their salvation. God's will is not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's Satan who doesn't want people to be saved. He's doing everything that he can to keep people away from coming to Jesus Christ. He's spending every ounce of his power, his energy, his resources, his time to keep people from knowing God's Son. Because he knows if they come to know God's Son, he can't beat them. Jesus is victorious. We stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying that the mystery of the gospel might be made known. We pray for people to be saved. I want to invite you this morning, if you're able, to join me on your knees in prayer. Just wherever you are. If you are physically able to get on your knees and bow before the Lord in prayer, I want you to pray with me. If you can't, just remain seated where you are and have the attitude in your heart and in your mind that you want to lower yourself humbly before the Lord and ask Him to move and to work as only He can. As you begin praying this morning, why don't you begin by telling God thank you for giving you the opportunity to talk with Him. Not just right now, but every time you want to. Father God, we thank you that we can come to you at all times and in all things. Why don't you continue in prayer by telling God thank you for giving you the Holy Spirit who lives in you. By moving and working in your life and in this world. God, we thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are doing more than we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. As you continue praying, maybe your mind and your heart are alert to a need. A need of our church, a need of somebody next to you that's kneeling there on their knees. Would you pray for those things that are coming to your heart and to your mind? Maybe there's something that you've been praying to God about for a long time. Maybe years. Would you pray that God would work and move without giving up? Would you pray in faith, God, would you do this? I want you to think back through the faces that you've seen this morning coming into the building. You might know a bunch, you might know a few. I want you to pray 
for everybody that you can possibly think of that you saw this morning walking through the church hallways. You might not know what they need, but God does. Just as they come to your mind, start praying for them. Pray for your church staff and Christian leaders. Would you pray that God would be with Coy this morning? His mom, if you don't know, has been in the hospital over the weekend. She's not in good condition. Would you pray for his family? Would you pray for Nick? Would you pray for Bryson? Would you pray for me? Maybe there's somebody in your life that's a a spiritual mentor, a teacher, someone that points you to Jesus, and they're a leader to you. Would you lift them up in prayer? Would you pray for our missionaries, church planners, maybe another pastor here in town that you know this morning? That God would keep them strong in their faith. Would you pray that each and every one of our church members would share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. You can pray that for yourself. You can pray that for me. You can pray that for the people next to you. Pray that God would use us as his people to boldly proclaim that Jesus saves. As we close this time of prayer together, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. The only thing I want you to say is the name of somebody who does not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord. God, as we lift these names up to you, as we say them out loud, we ask that you would work in their hearts and lives to bring them to know you So that they don't have to spend eternity in hell suffering for their sins. But so they can spend eternity with you in heaven rejoicing in the life that you've given to them. God, as we say their names now, we pray that they would be saved. Father God, we can never thank you enough 
for the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. But God, may we never, never forget the privilege he has given to us by coming to pray to you. And God, I pray that we as faithful followers of Jesus, that we as a church family, would stand firm in spiritual warfare by praying at all times and in all things. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray.